You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number six. I'm Rusty. With me is Andrew. G'day, Rusty. How are you? Good, mate. And also a special guest tonight, we have Daryl from Met Platt Firearm Services. How are you tonight, Daryl? Yeah, good, Rusty. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no dramas at all, mate. So we're, we're here to speak about you, and uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a summary about what uh, Met Platt uh, Firearm Services offers? Yeah, sure, Rusty. Um, Met Platt Firearm Services does a couple of things. We, uh, we sell premium projectiles. Um, we stock two main brands, which are Cutting Edge Bullets and North Fork Technologies, or North Fork Bullets. Um, and as well as that, we import and export firearms, uh, specifically to customer order. Mm-hmm. So customers that see things uh, overseas that they can't get here yep. and they want to get, uh, they can order them through us. Um, also doing a lot of business at the moment, uh, exporting firearms out of Australia. Right. Um, so, so some of them are going uh, to overseas customers, but more so it's people that are moving overseas mm-hmm. uh, or or foreigners who've been living and working here and are taking firearms back okay. with them. Yeah, right. Uh, so w- when you say you're importing firearms, that's individual sort of stuff and... Yep, yep. yep. So they, they can be anything from collectible firearms to handguns to rifles and shotguns. Okay. Um, but it is to customer order. Um, yeah, okay. g- Generally, we bundle them up yep. and ship a consignment of guns, which works out cheaper for everyone rather than doing it individually. Hmm. But yeah, um, right. they are. It's made up of individual orders. Very good. Cool. And, and any, any other aspects? And uh, we also have um, a line of um, big game rifles. Sure. Um, the B&M. A rifles and cartridges line. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh, uh, based on a Winchester Model 70, and they come in calibers from 9.3 right up to 500 caliber. Yeah, right. Um, so they're so they're big, big game dedicated. That's stuff. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're some of the calibers. There's 13 calibers in the B and M line. Yep. Um, and some of them are suitable for Australian game as well, um, such as Samba and Red Deer and and Buffalo, of course. Sure. Um, but also um, the the bigger cartridges are specifically for, for overseas big game, such yeah. as is yeah. found in Africa. Sure, absolutely. And wh- how long have you been running this business? Um, I've been doing this for about three and a half years now. Okay. So, yeah, we've, um, we've established a, a bit of a, a following and uh, we, we've got a website, which is um, www.metplat.com.au. Yep, and we'll and certainly put that in the show notes so people can look in there and uh, click that if they're not entirely sure or didn't catch it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that obviously that a lot of people find us just through the website, um, doing a web search for something. I had a guy um, from Perth contact me today. Um, just as I said, he's he's an American who's been working over here, and he's going back to the US and wants to export a couple of the firearms that he's bought while he's over here. Yeah, and I guess um, sort of the services you offer as far as being able to sol- uh, source and actually bring in you know specific firearms that aren't carried by Australian distributors is uh, probably a reasonable part of your business, I'm guessing? Like yeah, guys. it is. Um, get a lot of inquiries about um, specific firearms that people want to bring in. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, uh, one of the big killers is the exchange rate. Yeah, so it's not so good now, is it? It? It, doesn't, it doesn't stop us from bringing stuff in, but it's just making everything a lot more expensive than it needs to be. Um, and unfortunately, all the costs that are um, born in US dollars all get <laughs> transferred <laughs> to Australian <laughs> dollars, and then, uh, and then that, that 
total gets subject to GST as well. So yeah. it, it is a bit of an expensive time. Um, when I started the business, we were above parity, and it was a great time to import stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've been on the big slope now. <laughs> but, down. I mean, I guess everybody like is in the same boat, really. If if you go into a gun shop and buy any any product made in the US, uh, you're going to be in the same situation. So yeah, that's right, Andrew. But I guess uh, I mean the the big gun shops order everything in bulk, uh, or or at least the distributors do. Mm. So they're importing in bulk because we're doing low-volume imports. Um, We don't have the same economy of scale, and the exchange rate particularly affects us. But Mm. for a lot of customers... um, if Yeah, they're after something very specific for a particular reason. That's right. If they they can't can't get it otherwise, it's... Mm. uh, Exactly right. Good option. uh, And a lot of people have said, wow, uh, thanks very much, because this is the only way I've been able to get this in otherwise. Excellent, mate. Um, I'm pretty keen. You, you said uh, you talked about the projectiles, and um, and that's probably something that our audience is pretty sure um, focused on. Um, tell us more about the, the particularly the cutting edge. Yep. Bullets. Okay. Um, North, North Fork uh, primarily um, sort of general hunting bullets, not long range. Uh, yep. Whereas cutting edge, they actually started off making long range precision projectiles um, because they are themselves long range elk hunters mm-hmm. um, and cutting edge started off as cutting edge machining solutions they they had um, a business doing precision um, cnc machined um, items both for the gun industry and also other industries for for medical and engineering type applications um, but they were hunters and mm-hmm. long range hunters at that and so they said well why don't we start making our own projectiles and see where we can go from there? And so they make a, a very extensive line of long-range projectiles um, with high BCs for both target shooting and hunting, as well as their general hunting projectiles. I guess, um, I mean, I, I'm sort of aware of the, the, the product lines, and I know Rusty would be as well, but could you just sort of give us a bit more information about, say, the basic differences between cutting-edge projectiles and, say, Sierra or Berger or any of the other conventional-type projectiles? Um, Most of the conventional projectiles are a copper cup that's been swaged with a lead core. Um, Cutting-edge bullets are solid CNC-machined copper uh, or brass projectiles. Most of their long-range projectiles are copper because copper's a little bit heavier, Um, so you're able to get a shorter projectile um, for the same weight. Um, they are machined to extremely high tolerances. Um, they're actually optically gauged, and I've seen the machine at Cutting Edge Bullets that um, that checks with a laser to ensure that um, from batch to batch, lot to lot, the dimensions are the same for the same projectiles. Um, and obviously, they can they can make extremely pointy uh, projectiles, given that they're they're CNC cut, um, and they can also do hollow pointing. But it's all very precisely machined. The other good thing about them is that when you whack their projectiles uh, on a digital scale, you'll find that they mic out to the, or not mic out, they weigh out to the uh, exact grain that they're supposed to be, and it's just constant from projectile to projectile, so they've got very high consistency. Yeah, and I guess that's uh, you know, an issue for, for hunters, but predominantly for you know the longer range precision type shooting really comes into its own. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Yeah, it's um, they, they sound like a, a good option. I'm sh- sure they're probably relatively pricey, but I guess if you're getting good product, they they are. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. But um, one of the things that's I suppose um, popular with people is that they make a 
quite a a, a, a large range of weights within mm-hmm. given calibers. Yep. So people can find the projectile that suits their twist. Yes. Um, yep. Of rifle and. Um, They've also got a few options in the design. Um, there's there's three basic sorts of long-range projectiles. There's what's called the MTH, mm-hmm. which is a match tactical hunting projectile. It's got a hollow point, and it can be used for target shooting or hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the MTAC, which is the match tactical. It's yep. basically the same design. So it's a high BC, low drag projectile, but it's got a solid met plat. So it um, it's not designed for hunting because it doesn't expand at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the laser, um, which is a sort of a hybrid of their their Raptor line, which has got a polymer tip, right. and it fractures the nose section fractures into three blades. So it's got really good terminal performance, but it's got the same sort of shape as the MTAC and MTH projectiles, which is um, long, streamlined um, OGIV and low drag base. And I think, Rusty, when you're talking about the price, it, it's uh, it's all relative. I mean, they are course, pricey. Yeah. However, anybody that knows about CNC machining, they're not pricey, really. <laughs> yeah. um, really, for what you're getting. Yes. And I guess the if they're consistent. They got good VCs. You know, there's if mm. you if you're reliant on conventional projectiles, there are a lot of variances. I mean, I've I've Absolutely. measured and weighed Sierras and Burgers, and they're good, but. They're not going to be as consistent as a mm. you know a really well made CNC bullet. So yeah, that's right. You guys that are serious, it's it's negligible, really. Absolutely, and and in terms of using the monolithic projectiles or the single metal projectiles, is there some advantages and is there some um, things that people would need to know if they're going to load these projectiles? Um, yeah, I, I suppose one of the, one of the things is. Um, there's no issues with concentricity with a, a monometal projectile. Um, I mean, the the better made projectiles like like the Burgers, for instance, are going to have quite consistent um, jacket thicknesses. Sure. But if there's any difference at all in the jacket concentricity, then it's going to affect the way that your projectile flies. Mm. And uh, with sure. a solid monometal projectile, you, you avoid any of those issues. Okay. Um, some people um, say, oh, I've got to be careful with monometal projectiles because I've got a tight bore um, and they don't have as much given them uh, as a, a cup and core uh, projectile, which is true. The, the CEB projectiles uh, are made a little bit differently. Um, they've got the high BC projectiles. have got what's called a seal type band, which is one thou um, mm-hmm. over nominal bore diameter. And each side of that, there's two little grooves, which are called material displacement grooves, and they allow hmm. for the the sealtight band to flow into those grooves. And the front section of the projectile is basically a bore rider. So they're actually uh, a, a very, for a monometal pr- projectile, they're actually fairly low friction projectile, um, given the fact that, yeah, they are solid copper. Yeah, right. And and do we need to be aware of something different if we're loading them up? Is there any difference to... Yeah, um, with the with the seal-type band, the idea is that you uh, load it just touching the case mouth. Um, you don't want to seat it into the neck of the cartridge mm-hmm. and damage it. Um, and there's two types uh, or two configurations with the high BC projectiles. There's a, a standard projectile, yep. which is designed to fit within the magazine for mm-hmm. the um, most you know, calibers that are, uh, the bullet is made for. Yep. Uh, and then there's a max projectile, which is basically the same shape, same weight, 
but the position of the seal-type band is further back on the projectile, which means that the projectile will seat further out and it, yep. it, it necessitates single loading. But if you're doing precision shooting and you're not, you know, belting off, you know, five rounds in five seconds, then single loading for for many people is what they're doing. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of people have single shot long range actions as well because you get a stiffer action, obviously, without the the magazine cutout. Um, just one thing I was thinking about these projectiles: um, how do they conform as far as uh, ballistic coefficient? Do they? You know, would you could you run a G seven or is there anything specific or? Yeah, look, um, there, there's. I've been reading a, a little bit about this. Um, the G seven, um, I suppose, standard of of measuring BC is the more relevant one to um, high BC, especially monumental projectiles. Mm-hmm. Um, the G one coefficient doesn't do it as well. Doesn't do it the same justice. Um, typically. The BC will be slightly lower um, for the same weight projectile, and that's simply because a monometal projectile, being less dense, needs to be longer, and with a longer bearing surface, it's going to reduce the the BC slightly. Um, so you know, some people look at BC as the the most important thing. Oh, this one's this projectile's got the highest BC, or that one has. Yeah. Um, but it's not the whole. Um, not the full story. It's not the full story, and the other thing is you need to match up your, I suppose, BC with the range that you're looking at or the range segment that you're looking at engaging targets at. Mm. Um, some high BC projectiles only really come into their own um, beyond a certain distance. And yeah. closer than that, you'll find that a lower BC, lighter projectile with a higher muzzle velocity is going to shoot flatter, um, may have slightly more wind drift, but may make engaging targets um, a lot easier with the flatter trajectory. Yeah, and I guess like uh, like any projectile that doesn't conform absolutely perfectly i mean the guys that are serious will will actually plot their real world data rather than relying solely on a yeah that's you know, right a, a, you know readout from a ballistic program so yeah that's that's exactly right and i guess consistency is is well for me anyway in a long range projectile consistent performance is you know trumps everything yeah I mean, there's no point having a bc that's higher than everything else if if you've got weight variances or ogive variances that you know basically will cause your accuracy issues to become noticeable. Absolutely. Um, Andrew, while, while uh, you know, every, everyone wants a, a flat shooting uh, cartridge and a, a trajectory that's as flat as possible, um, it's more important to know your trajectory and be a, yeah. able to adjust for it and have that consistent trajectory all the time. And if your group size at the end of that trajectory is smaller, um, you're better off with a, a more arced trajectory with a small group size than a flat trajectory with a wider one. Well, your hit probability will be a lot higher. So. Absolutely, yep. yep. That's what we're all chasing. Yeah, so how did um, how did you get into shooting? Where did that come from? And and obviously now you're to the point where you started your own business in the industry. And tell us about that journey. Yeah, sure, Rusty. I, I guess I was one of those kids that uh, was interested in firearms from the moment that they slid out the chute. Yep. Um, I was never encouraged um, by anyone in my family, um, but uh, all my earliest you know, childhood drawings were all of battle scenes. So I was always invo- interested in the military and in, and in firearms. Um, and and that, that love of firearms and shootings and ballistics has, has brought me to where I am now. Um, I'm a keen hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've hunted both around Australia and, and internationally in Canada and, and Africa as well. Um, and I, I suppose that's that's my primary focus. Um, sure. But 
in in addition to that, I've just got a, a love of firearms, and also um, I'm really interested in ballistics um, and learning more about ballistics. Um, one thing I've always, you know, said about shooting and ballistics is that it can be very, very simple if you want it to be, but the more you look into it, the more and more complex it gets. Um, and if if you've if you've got a thirst for knowledge, um, there's there's just a, a constant uh, amount of learning you can do. Uh, in the science of ballistics well it just seems sort of from my observation that it's there's always new information coming out uh, it's what we know about projectile design and and terminal performance and exterior ballistics is now was way more advanced than we knew say five years ago yeah absolutely look um andrew the other, the other thing is that there's new um i suppose computer programming that allows modeling um anyone that's that's a fan of long-range shooting would would have heard of heard of brian leitz in the in the u.s um who's the chief ballistician for um for burger for burger thank you (laughs) just had a blank there but he he was also an aerospace um engineer Mm. um and the testing um, that he's doing and the the equipment that he's using and the computer modeling that he's also using to assist in the prediction of of results um, is really good and uh, I'm I'm reading through one of his books now and and learning uh, a lot Um, and as I said when you you know you think the trajectory of a bullet is a fairly simple thing it's it's an arc affected by gravity and and wind resistance but uh, when when you read his account of it it's uh, there's a whole lot more factors um, that are coming into play yeah that's probably a worthwhile point uh we we've talked about the brian litz books i know greg has several times and we employed one of the um uh the setups that he uses one of the tests that he uses uh, for greg's cartridge selection um so right. if you are listening um certainly recommend reading any of his books they're relatively easy to get your head around um compared to what they could be like um but they certainly will challenge you with um with some ideas and some complex uh sort of complex problems taken relatively easily um, yeah, yeah. into fairly standard terms. I, th- I think what he, what he does, Rusty, is for, for the lay shooter who mm. is not necessarily a mathematician, um, he, he breaks it down into layman's terms. But also I found what's really handy is that quite often in a chapter he'll have a summary and say, okay, yes. let, let's just review what we've talked about. And he'll, you know, summarise the key points so that it stays in your mind and, and makes it easy to understand. So, yeah, I think they're, they're well written. Yeah, um, absolutely worth reading. You know, maybe not for the beginner, but if, if you're an experienced shooter, you'll get a lot out of reading those books, especially if you're into a long-range shooting. Absolutely. Which most of our audience uh, is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, cool. Um, I guess from a sort of a, a shooting perspective, um, obviously, you, you know, you just covered how you sort of got into the, the shooting sport. Yep. With the cutting edge bullets being one of your, you know, your main items you import and deal with, it indicates to me you, know, you have obviously a very good interest in long range shooting, not just your hunting and close range stuff. How, how did that develop? Yeah, um, look, um, I, I guess I've got interest in many aspects of shooting. Um, admittedly, I haven't done the amount of long-range shooting that I'd like to do. I've None of us have. None of us have <laughs> at all. No, I, I mean, uh, I've I've built a, a dedicated long-range rifle um, in 375. It's got a 32, uh, 33-inch barrel. It's It's got uh, the Schmidt & Bender PM2 scope. Um, it's got an imported gain twist barrel, an imported trigger, uh, an imported stock. Um, 
finding the, the so time. Anyone would think you're in an import business, wouldn't Well, they? that's right. Yeah. Handy, handy that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's just finding the time uh, to, mm. to get away um, to the places where you can go and, and put, a bull, uh, put a rifle through its paces at long range is uh, increasingly Absolutely. difficult in this busy life. Yeah, it's one of those skills that uh, you can have all the paper knowledge in the world, but until Absolutely. you actually you know, employ those skills in the real world, um, yeah, it can be quite challenging. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can certainly say that, um, especially in the last 12 months, um, clearly the number of long-range shooters out there is increasing. Um, there's yeah. there's more, more people contact me with an interest in um, obtaining either parts for firearms or firearms that are of a long-range nature, um, but especially in terms of projectile sales, um, surprisingly to me, um, the number of long-range projectiles that I'm selling is probably um, greater than the number of general hunting projectiles that I'm selling now, and that certainly wasn't the case um, when I started the business. Hmm. Um, you know, most people were going for the standard sort of short-range projectiles, um, good for sort of, you know, up to three, three or 500 metres. But um, lately, especially in 375, followed by 338, um, those long-range high BC projectiles are, are selling really well. What, uh, what do you think is driving that change uh, towards the interest in long-range shooting? It, that's hard to say. I guess um, there's probably, you know, a lot of it is probably influenced from the US um, where long-range shooting is becoming more and more common. Um, and as, as it's talked about, more in in shooting circles and as um, there are more and more firearms and more technology as you said you know um, things are improving technologically all the time with long range shooting Um, I think it's only natural that it it will gain a a bigger following Um, and there seems to be yeah more people looking to to build long range firearms um, especially in you know I think initially it was long range 308 300 magnums um and the like, but um, now certainly 338 and 375 seem to be the the bulk of the projectiles that my customers are interested in. Do you um, sell many of the smaller calibre, like sort of under 30 cal uh, line of projectiles? Uh, yeah, actually CB make um, sort of long range high BC target projectiles um, in 22, 243, 277, 264, in a range of calibres, really. Um, it's not just, you know, 308, 338, 375. Um, and I do get some customers, you know, asking for um, 6.5, 277s, um, less common. Um, some of them may be F-class shooters, um, but um, certainly for the people that are really extending the ranges, um, 338 and 375 are the most common uh, and most popular. Um, I've recently started selling to a, a customer in WA who is um, consistently shooting out to 3Ks, and he's been doing that with a 338, um, surprisingly, and is now building up a, a 375 and ordered several hundred projectiles from me so that he can extend past that 3K barrier. Carry on that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've uh, we've covered previously in uh, some of our other podcasts the maybe not quite extending that far, but the interest in in long range out to, say, 1,500 yards, um, the evolution of you know, starting out with 308s, 300 wind mags and the bigger calibres um, dominating. And then, um, you know, as, as people have sort of learnt and um, I guess the, the, the sport has evolved, we've gone down to the smaller calibres, sort of hence I just uh, mm. I asked about the smaller calibre stuff. Well, um, actually, actually, it's interesting... Um, 
the the guys from CB recently competed in a uh, a shoot called the King of Two Mile, um, mm-hmm. uh, which was held I think down in uh, where was it Texas. Um, down south in the US um, and that was a shoot that was open to international teams the um, Accuracy International team were there the US F-Class team were there um, there were a number of I think there were 25 teams from four countries as well as a lot of US agencies um, and Dan Schmitko who's the president of CB actually uh, won that shoot which not, was a, not a bad in- effort not a bad effort good at all. For, it, good it, for business. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, he, he was shooting a four sixteen caliber um, with CEB projectiles. With CEB projectiles, oh, that's, that's good yeah. then. Um, but uh, surprisingly, they said you know th- there was people shooting um, three three eight, three seven five, um, four sixteen, fifty caliber, and yet um, one of the guys that was really competitive was a, an individual who was shooting a three hundred win mag, and he had a a, a novel barrel tuning. Um, sort yeah, of right. method, and he was actually getting really good results um, out to all but the longest ranges, and uh, um, he surprised a lot of people. I bet. Um, yeah. So it just you know, it, it brought to the fore that with the right understanding and technology, um, some of these smaller projectiles with lower recoil and um, you know smaller charges can still hold their own out to to quite significant distances. Yeah, I guess we've we've been tracking a lot of the precision rifle series in the US and what they do, and I guess there that those smaller calibers have become dominant because they're not worried about terminal performance, and they're more interested about keeping keeping the the um, the picture on the target so that yeah, they're not yeah. losing. And yeah, a true. lot of those stages are, are speed orientated, mm. multiple targets, whereas the you know, the extreme you know long range stuff, it's it's more. The, orient- the, uh, the emphasis yeah. is on hitting the target, not yeah, multiple right. targets. and Sure. So, you know, it's a little bit, well, it's a fair bit different, really. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, very good. Now, I've, I've been reading, your, you put an email out. That's and right. certainly uh, suggest people jump onto um, Daryl's website and sign up to his email because not only does he tell you about products and things going on, but also includes some technical information in his emails, which is very well thought through and researched. I'm interested to to hear what's been some of the most interesting findings that you've come across in your research there. Yeah, look, I um, I put out a quarterly newsletter. Um, I mean, obviously, I like to keep customers informed of new products um, and so forth, but I don't like it to just be a sell, 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 buy, buy, buy type um, arrangement. So yep. I try and put a bit of technical information um, on things that I've learnt um, and things that I think could be helpful to people. Um uh, re- recently, I've been reading a book, and I, I recommend it to anyone that's into hand loading, um, and probably a lot of, or most of your yeah, most um, of listeners them. would be absolutely. Um, it's a book by Mick McPherson called Metallic uh, Cartridge Hand Loading: yes. The Pursuit of the Perfect Cartridge. Um, I've read a lot of reloading books, and occasionally, you know, you you glean a bit of information that you didn't know before. I learnt so much stuff from this book. Um, yeah, right. It's unbelievable. This this character, Mick McPherson, who's an American, um, has has delved into every aspect of hand loading of projectiles, of cartridge cases, of primers. <laughs> done all sorts of tests. Um, worked with you know some large companies in the US, um, propellant makers, primer makers, um, to do some of these tests and some of the the results that he's found. Um, have been you know quite interesting 
and I highly recommend that. Um, if you want an education and you, you want to go beyond scratching the surface with re- reloading, um, that book by Mick McPherson, um, Metallic uh, Cartridge Handloading, is, a, is an absolute gem. Well, by the sounds of it, I think that would be very appealing to most of the, the listeners that are they're interested in the precision and, yeah, and long range. It's obviously, by the sounds of it, not just a standard reloading manual. So, Yeah. Um, I, I, I presented um, something recently about handloading at one of the shot expos, mm-hmm. and, and I took um, some information from one of the graphs, um, which is all about um, primers and pressures and velocities, yep. and it showed how um, keeping all else the same apart from the primer um he had a, a couple of cartridges that he used i think 3006 was the main one um but he substituted the primers and showed that while from the lowest velocity to the highest velocity um was only 100 feet per second the pressures were over 10,000 psi yeah, from right. the lowest to the highest so you took from just some, changing primer yeah from yeah, just wow. changing the primer so you you know by substituting the primer you can take a safe load and go well over the safe working pressure, um, and obviously that's that's going to have you know um, impacts also on your consistency and and point of impact if you're changing brands. So you know once you find a good load, then stick with all the components just as they are, and and don't think that um, you know something similar about like um, substituting a primer brand or or type um, won't have an effect because it it definitely will. Yeah, I mean we noticed that Sam. Uh well, it was a little while ago now, in 300 Wind Mag, just doing tests using large Absolutely. rifle primers versus magnum primers, yep. and it's really quite noticeable. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you wouldn't, you know, we had the opposite of, uh, what, we, of what we thought would happen. Yeah, the we standards a, gave mm. a, a much lower standard deviation. And higher magnums. velocity. So. Mm. Higher velocity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah it's, and that it's, was just within one brand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it didn't change brands at all. So, and, and he also, in that particular study, um, he used brands that were current manufacture and oh, okay. also the yep. same projectile, sorry, the same primer that was from 10 years previously yep. and, and found that there were different results as well. Mm. So, yeah. Amazing. Nice. And any other stories from the, um, from the research you've done for your technical articles? Oh, look, um, I suppose that there's, there's been a few things. Um, a lot of the stuff has just come from, I suppose, my own learning and, and uh, experimentation, seeing what works and what doesn't, and, and trying to, um, you know, help, help people with sort of advice that has worked well for me over the years. Yep. Um, there's a lot of simple things that, especially people that are getting into reloading um, and shooting yep. and are, are sort of still in their early years, um, can... I suppose jump a few steps and yeah. and learn the quick way rather than learning the hard way. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah, very good. Is there any uh, common myths that you've sort of uncovered that you wish to dispel through your shooting and testing and yeah, look, projectiles um, or anything? I, I had a uh, I was at an Adelaide gun show recently, and a, a young young lad who just got into shooting came up and was talking to me about firearms, and you know he he said something which I've heard a number of times, and he said, oh well, well you know accuracy's got a lot to do with barrel length, hasn't it? And, you know, I, I sort of had to point out to him, well, actually, no, barrel length and accuracy have got nothing to do with each other. Um, the only time that's true is if you're using iron sights on a on a firearm. Uh, if you've got a longer sight radius, you're going to reduce your sighting error. But the actual accuracy of the barrel, um, you know, has, has nothing to do with it. Um, often the, a short, stiff, stiffer barrel um, is going to have less effect um, on uh, bullet dispersion mm-hmm. because you get... 
uh, a tighter yes, sort of barrel harmonic and and you don't get the same whip effect that you'd get in a longer thinner barrel so they're they're stiffer and and tend to you know group projectiles much tighter um uh, the same lad also said to me he said oh i've been told that i need to use heavy projectiles because i've got a high rate of twist and i said no not quite uh, i said you're certainly able to use heavier projectiles because you've got a faster twist yep. but it doesn't at all mean that you need to use them um I, I think a lot of people um fall into some holes with with rates of twist um obviously you know the the most important thing um about a projectile is within a given caliber is going to be its length yes um yep. the, the length tends to determine what twist rate you're going to need the, the longer the projectile the faster the twist is going to be um one of the i suppose commonly held beliefs for many years is that while you want to stabilize a projectile you don't want to over stabilize it because you want it to trail or to trace properly at long range which is where the nose follows or the tail follows the nose rather than the projectile as it starts coming down in its arc um, ending up sort of nose high and um, you know that's sort of dispelled now um, and people like Brian Litz have shown that um, if you stabilise a projectile more than it's actually required, um, it actually tends to have um, or give the projectile greatest gyroscopic stability over the whole length of its um, of its trajectory and you do tend to actually get better results. So having a, a faster twist than you require is probably actually a good thing, especially if you're a long-range shooter. Yeah, I mean, I guess from my experience, you can often run a, a light projectile through a faster twist barrel. Uh, you're not usually going to be using that light projectile at long range anyway. You might be using it for you know, closer range varmint shooting, for example, um, and not really stretching it out. So it's, it's sort of a, a mute point, really. Mm. Um, Mm. I mean, I, I've noticed uh, accuracy differences. Some some rifles with fast twist barrels don't seem to shoot the light bullets accurately, but they will shoot a different brand of projectile accurately. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, I think probably a, a common misconception that you can't shoot light bullets in fast fast twist barrels. Sure. So, mm. and, and and I suppose to that point too, um, a common misconception people have is that. Um, all bullets should shoot to the same point of impact, um, if they're, especially if they're, you know, um, the same weight. And the reality of it is that you can you can zero a rifle with one projectile um, and have it perfectly zeroed. You change brands um, and bullet shapes slightly, and that projectile will not only shoot higher or lower, but it'll actually shoot off to the left or the right. Mm. Um, I had a customer who was quite perturbed that um, the CB projectiles that he, he was shooting didn't, didn't print in the same place as his regular load and i was trying to explain to him well it's it's not that they're not accurate it's just that for that projectile you need to adjust your point of aim and and i've you know when i've done load development um one thing i notice is that when you start off um with a with a load and it progressively increase um the the powder charge as you're looking for that um you know that node in accuracy mm. um projectiles print not only lower to higher but also tend to often go say left to right across a page diagonally hmm. um, so you do need to adjust your your point of aim when you're um, either substituting projectiles or sorry your point of impact um, when you're substituting projectiles or or charges yeah absolutely we we had that in um in the five gun comparison we did three southern shooters where one of the uh one of the types of ammo we didn't change point of impact 
uh, at all. We just, yeah, sorry, we didn't change point of aim at all. The point of impact danced around and, and one ended up off the page completely, yeah. um, which which happens. Yeah, and you certainly do need to do that. But I guess if you don't know that, you you don't know it. Until yeah, that's right. Do we work out why it's not not working for you? Exactly right. Missing those targets. Yeah. And I guess uh, a lot of the the misconceptions or not complete truths regarding shooting um, stem from the fact that you know, a lot of guys write for for gun magazines and that sort of thing that have quite limited experience and limited research in in a field. So they tend to regurgitate things, which unfortunately sort of uh, yeah, continues the the myths, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right, Andrew. And, and quite often, you know, people um, have beliefs that they've held because someone's told them years ago that this is the way it is, and they've they've always just accepted that as you know, as as a truth. Um, whereas if if you put it to the test, you soon find that it it falls over. Mm, that's I think one of the things I like about Brian Litz. All the, uh, he always says, test everything, even what he tells you, test it anyway. Yeah, that's right. Um, as Ian Thompson, who was a, a noted um, DSTO ballistician who did a lot of writing for the um, Sporting Shooters Association, mm-hmm. Australian Shooter Magazine, um, he said to me, whenever you do an experiment, he said, you always measure something. Um, it doesn't always work out to be exactly what you thought. <laughs> um, and yep. the results that you get aren't always the results that you expected. Sure. But that's why you do the experiment to see... Um, the, the truth of the matter and then you you sort of need to understand why the results that you're seeing have come about hmm. um, and that, that leads to, to greater understanding and, and obviously, um, you know, more accurate understanding Information. as well. Information, yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, one other question back on the projectiles I was going to ask you. I know, um, and I'll probably get the name wrong, but I think it's the ESP Raptors from yes. CEB. Yep. They're a really unique type of projectile, and while they perhaps may not line up exactly with the precision and the long-range sort of stuff, um, I find them very intriguing and probably worthwhile talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, Okay. So the ESP stands for Enhanced System Projectile. Um, They they stem from the original uh, flat-based Raptors, but um, they've got the same heel shape as they have on on the nose or the metplat. Yep. Um, so the angle is the same, and when you turn them around, basically um, they look the same top and bottom. Okay. Um, one end has a hollow point in it, yep. um, and you can either put a, a polymer tip in it to give it a high ballistic coefficient, or you can shoot it as a, a sort of flat nose hollow point, mm-hmm. um, and the other end is, is a solid. So they actually have the advantage of of actually being able to be used in three different ways. They can be used as a, a blunt-nosed um, expanding projectile. Yep. Um, they can u- be used with the polymer tip for, for long-range shooting, or sure. they can be turned around and shot as a solid. Um, and in testing, and kids, don't, don't do this yourselves at home, but in testing, they have actually been fired as solids into the bullet box, um, and the same projectiles have been recovered and then turned around and fired as a hollow point. Yeah, and right. they function just the same. And uh, of course, there's going to be a POI difference, as we just discussed. There, there will be, a, there will be a well, slight POI difference um, if you're shooting with a ballistic tip. Sure. Um, yep. But there, there shouldn't be too much, given that they've got the same nose shape, if, effectively. Um, and uh, if you're using the same charge, then they'll be very similar. But I guess it's uh, it's worth noting that they're. Those particular projectiles are, are more of a hunting, premium hunting projectile yeah, rather right. than a long-range projectile. Yeah, absolutely. So I think yeah. for the, the given application, 
it's a oh, yeah. very versatile choice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, anyway, they, they intrigued me. I've seen them and play with them and haven't shot one yet, so I'm yeah, yeah. very intrigued by that sort of versatility they give you. Uh, yeah. the, the the reality is most people that would shoot an ESP projectile are going to use it as a as a hollow point mm. um, and um, and not as a solid. But for, for some people, if they want to use the smaller caliber projectiles for as a solid for whatever reason, whether they're pelt shooting and they want to minimise damage or whether they need deep penetration, um, they can use the one projectile in, mm. in two different um, capacities. The, the only thing that, that diff- differs, um, I suppose, is the, the location of the driving bands because it's, uh, it's a projectile that, that sort of runs on the bore and it only has um, three or four driving bands that engage the rifling. Um, the projectile will seat slightly differently. Um, it's, it's made to seat deeper with the hollow point so that you can use it with the tip if you want mm-hmm. um, and further out with the, uh, with the solid but I think quite a versatile projectile on a big game rifle, for example. You know, you could have yeah, the first absolutely. first one would be a hollow point or tipped, and then you know solids. Yeah, that sort of thing. So, but yeah. but for for the serious big game, um, the the flat base Safari Raptors and Safari Solids uh, basically match projectiles, so they are exactly the same in profile. Um, one is a solid, one is a hollow point. Um, they, they've got a flat base because generally they're used for, for closer range encounters um, and you work up a load for the solid and then you um, use that same load in your um, hollow point configuration and they'll basically shoot to the same POI out to 100 metres or so. Yep. Um, so they're very effective. Now you talked about driving bands before and that's something we see on the monolithics. Are you able to explain what they do and why they're there? Yeah, sure. Um as I said before, um, a cup and core projectile has a malleable lead centre, and so it's got a bit more give in it. So when the um, the copper is engraved by the rifling, it can compress it a little bit and allow for uh, the bullet to squash a little bit to conform to the rifling. Um, because the, the CB line are monometal, they're either brass or they're solid copper, um, they've either got as I said before, a sill-type band or the brass projectiles, um, with brass being a little bit harder than copper, yep. um, they run on driving bands. So most of the length of the projectile is um, is only touching the, the lands and the only part that's actually going into the grooves are the rifling. Uh, oh, sorry, the grooves of the rifling are the driving bands. So it minimises barrel friction. And um, testing in the US by B&M rifles and cartridges have actually shown that the barrel strain caused by um, the CB um, Raptor sort of series of projectiles is actually lower than it is with just standard cup and core projectiles. So they've they've used strain gauges, especially on double rifles, which are often got uh, fairly thin barrel walls. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it's long been held that you can't shoot monolithic solids in in double rifles. Um, because they put too much pressure on the barrel. Um, well, that's certainly not the case with the CB line because those driving bands alleviate the pressure yep. but still give you a, a complete gas seal. And I imagine could be you know, foul less than a, a conventional cup and core projectile, a lot less surface you know, bearing area. That's exactly right, Andrew. They, they do um, foul less. Um, you've got a, a much reduced friction, um, especially given the fact that the, the, I suppose, long for weight uh, monolithic projectiles have got a long bearing surface by reducing the amount of bearing surface that's actually being engraved you greatly decrease the the amount of fouling as well yeah 
So having that less bearing surface, does that affect your velocities at all? Um, yeah, well, potentially it, it means that you can you can drive the projectiles faster. Um, you, you tend to have slightly less pressure. Um, although, um, especially like brass, it's, it's harder than copper, but mm-hmm. it's got a higher lubricity. So it actually, I suppose, doesn't have the same degree of friction yep. on the, the bore surface once it is engraved. Um, so potentially, yeah, you can you can actually drive these projectiles very fast, and and unlike um, I suppose you know some lead core thin jacketed projectiles, which if you drive them too fast, they can they can actually spin apart um, with the, the CB or in fact any monolithic projectiles, um, you can drive them as fast as you want, and they'll never come apart. I guess uh, Rusty probably some of the more specific um, projectile related. Um, discussions we we may well look at in a future podcast, uh, you know, solely dedicated to projectile selection and and all the design yeah, yeah. issues and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it'd uh, be good to get Daryl back and expand on projectiles. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, happy sure. to do that, mate. Be be my pleasure, Rusty. Very good. Well, guys, we're um that might do us for uh, for this podcast. So, Daryl, thank you very much for coming in. No it's worries, Rusty. Thanks. Great having Thanks you here, having me. sharing your knowledge, guys. Listening, um, we're going to put up some information how to get in contact with um, with Daryl and his business, and how you can jump on there. Make sure you sign up to the newsletter. Uh, they can do that from your website. Yep, yep. Yep. they can Fantastic. do that from the homepage. Yeah, it's, so uh, on jump, the sidebar there. Jump on there, and when those technical articles come out every uh, every quarter, um, certainly read up on them, and we may even uh, announce them when they are, when they arrive on the show as well. So. That would be good, unless we've got any last questions at all, Andrew? Uh, no, nothing that, that uh, will involve a quick answer. So we'll, I think, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll delve a little deeper into the projectile specifics uh, at another episode. But, yeah, no, thank you very much for coming in, Daryl. No worries. Thanks, good. Andrew. Great, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.